This series on the spiritual disciplines is about giving us the tools to actually fundamentally be changed. We're embarking on the path of disciplined grace. Disciplined because there's a role for us to play. Grace because real inner change is always and only ever a free gift given to us by God. God could have created humans as immovable rocks, like blocks of granite. Instead, he gave us freedom, the capacity for moral, emotional, and spiritual transformation. We can become better people. The key is understanding how. Um, I was slightly torn this week uh, about what to talk about because we're due to start a series on spiritual disciplines. Uh, but given everything that's been going on in our world, I wondered whether actually um, we should just talk about uh, the situation in Ukraine, uh, what God thinks about it, what we can do, what we can pray about. Um, I'm going to um, revert to what we were going to do. Uh, I hope that there will be um, comfort and uh, hope in what I'm going to talk about, about spiritual disciplines. Next week, the spiritual discipline that we're looking at specifically is prayer, and I would like to focus that on how we might pray for our world. Um, but I hope that there will be stuff here as well that brings um, God's spirit into some of the things that we may be feeling about with the state of our world. Um, one of the great sort of philosophical questions uh, that has um, been discussed forever and ever since the beginning of time and now and again uh, preachers of Sunday sermons like this talk about it is this. Are we as a humanity progressing? Are we as a species getting better? Uh, and in this week when Russia has invaded Ukraine with all the bloody and terrifying consequences that that has and may still entail, it's easy to be pretty pessimistic about the answer to that question, isn't it? Although, on the other hand, hasn't it been quite extraordinarily encouraging to see pretty much the whole world, pretty much without exception, unite in condemnation of Putin's actions? We've seen people in a world that is so split, who might disagree about everything else in the whole universe, still come together to say no to this. I found that quite moving. So are we getting better or worse as a species? Now, this is a very trite little contrast, but I was uh, reading Fox News uh, the other week, uh, because I wanted to, why was I doing that? Uh, because I wanted to see what the um, response was to the Super Bowl, to Eminem specifically kneeling. And to, to be honest, I, I've started doing this a lot, reading things that I would intrinsically think I'm going to disagree with uh, on purpose in order for, uh, to see what, what other people are thinking. It really helps with empathy. It really helps with seeing things from the other side. It really uh, can make you very, very angry. And then you have to work out, why am I so angry? And that is a good thing as well. Um, I highly recommend it. Now, I know I've mentioned Fox News, and like most of you are going, we are never listening to a word that that guy says ever again. Uh, you do you. Uh, I'm going to carry on. Uh, for the three people still listening, I was reading Fox News. This is going to be OK. 
Uh, and I wanted to see what the response was to Eminem taking the knee at uh, the Super Bowl. The problem was there was very little reporting about that at all, very little in the comments. What all the comments were directed at was, one, the quality of the music. And it was basically, this is just noise. Where are all the harmonies? You can't really call this music. One person said, I put pause on during the Super Bowl halftime show so that I could listen to the Beatles. Now they knew how to write a tune. Uh, so it was either about the music or it was about the performance, the quality of the performance. Uh, people saying they, the, the performances were filthy, it was over-sexualized, uh, we're all outraged. If you want someone with real stage presence, real charisma, look at Elvis. Now there was a performer. The irony, of course, being that 60 years ago, it was almost certain that these people's parents and grandparents were bemoaning the awfulness of the Beatles with their guitar parts recorded backwards and their references to LSD and their long hair and their disrespect for authority and, of course, Elvis's disgusting, over-sexualized thrustings. The other irony, of course, is also that Dr. Dre and Snoop have a combined age of about 400 million, uh, so they're not actually cutting edge at all. Who knows what Fox News would make of Lil Nas X when he is going to perform, if he ever is. Anyways, the point for our purposes is Twas ever thus. Every generation does it. History repeats itself. Hannah and I spend quite a lot of time, now that our kids are getting older, bemoaning the society that we are bringing these children up in. It's awful. It's the worst ever. Just like our parents did for us, and their parents did for them, and their parents did for them. I don't think we're getting any worse. We're just finding different as well as not so different ways to be the same as we've kind of always been. Putin's empire building is, as we were looking at in our series on Revelation, nothing new. This is not to belittle the terror of it. It's just to say this is what humanity always has done. Which is also not to say that there have, of course, been lots of obvious and measurable ways in which we have got better. People don't die of scurvy anymore. This is, beyond a shadow of a doubt, a very good thing. But when it comes to our inner lives, our goodness, our contentment, our emotional and spiritual health, our care for one another, I'm not so sure. It's quite difficult to say with any authority that as a species we are better at loving, for instance, than we were 20 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago. However, Something I think we can all agree on, and indeed the Bible makes very clear, is we as a species always have the opportunity to become better. Humanity has this unique capacity for moral development. I'm a bit of a skeptic when it comes to self-help and the self-help industry. After all, if the self-help industry worked, it would cease to exist. But what its prominence tells us, and something which the Bible also says, is that deep down in us, we do believe that we can change. We do believe that we can have our characters transformed. God could have created us as immovable objects, like a big block of rock, or he could have created us like a big block of cheese instead, but 
rather than that, he gave us the capacity for development and change. We all have the ability to become glorious beings in his kingdom. And something innate, deep down in us, senses that that's true. If you are like me, in your best moments, you will genuinely long for the abilities that are currently beyond yourself to live life well every day, to be free from anger, to be free from strife, to be free from bitterness. Don't you, in your best moments, want to just be a really good person? To have a life free from narcissism, free from deceit, a life of care for other people and grace for those we find difficult? Don't we want to be courageous enough to actually forgive people? To actually forgive people who have caused us so much pain? To especially forgive the people who have caused us so much pain? And in our best moments, don't we want to become closer to Jesus? To hear from him and to walk with him, to be full of his joy and his spirit? Well, this sermon series that we are embarking upon is really um, all about this. It's about becoming fuller, deeper, more loving, more joyful, more kind, more peaceful, better, more generous, more Jesus-like people. Specifically, it is about how the spiritual disciplines help us do that. Now, there is no exhaustive list of spiritual disciplines. These are things that Christians through the ages have come to uh, agree that are helpful to bringing us to a place of transformation. But discipline, of course, is not a sexy word. And as you know, we like to keep church pretty sexy here. So our job is to try and redeem the word discipline and bring some sexy back. Unfortunately, many of us will have grown up with the faith being depicted as one long slog. Yes, Jesus freely saves you with grace, but that's over now. He's done his bit, and now it's up to you. So you should be doing this. You shouldn't be doing that. You should be doing more of this. You should be doing less of this. Discipline, 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 discipline is exhausting. Let me reassure you, this is not what we're talking about when it comes to spiritual disciplines at all. Rather, the disciplines we're talking about are like tools in our spiritual toolkit. Each week, we're going to look at a specific one. As I said, prayer next week. We're going to look at meditation. We're going to look at celebration. We're going to look at confession. We're going to look at worship. These tools allow us not to go beyond grace into self-realization, but rather receive more grace, to come closer to Jesus, to hear from him, to learn from him, to experience him, and in so doing, to be transformed. Because proximity to Jesus and his grace is the only way for meaningful, fundamental, actual, real change. Now, some of us will be relatively mature Christians, others will be newer to the faith, others will be deconstructing or reconstructing some ideas about what it is to follow Jesus, but this series is for all of us. One of the beautiful things about our faith is that there is always more, always more and more and more. None of us actually ever arrive, however long we've been playing at this game. We are all on a journey. So this series is about each one of us going deeper having more tools, learning to use these tools better so that we might have a fuller, better spiritual life. 
But before we get onto them this week, I want to prepare ourselves to understand how these spiritual disciplines work. The innate desire, I believe, that we all have to want to be and to know we can be transformed obviously has implicit in it an acknowledgement. An acknowledgement that we need to be transformed from something. The thing we need to be transformed from is, in biblical language, our old sinful nature. When someone responds to Jesus, they become a new creation. An irreversible and decisive change occurs. The old has gone, the new has come. As we have pointed out often, the New Testament only ever describes people who have responded to Jesus not as sinners, never, never um, describes them as sinners because they're not. You are not. You are not a sinner. You are a saint. Something fundamental has changed in you. It's as if we were slippery, slimy slugs, but now we have been made soaring, swooping swallows. We are something completely different. The problem, of course, though, is that despite this emphatic change, we from time to time revert. Our old nature, our broken sinfulness, is like a plague. That's how Paul describes it. It's a condition. It infects us. It's in the air. It's in our hearts. It has been fundamentally choked of all its life by Jesus in his death and resurrection, but it is still wheezing on, taking people captive even as it breathes out its last. Isaiah describes it like the sea. The sea's waves cast up mire and dirt. They can't help but do that. That's what they do. We are entirely new, but the influence of the old can't help but churn up mire and, dirt, mire and dirt in us. No special effort is actually needed to produce sin in ourselves. It happens all of its own accord. No wonder we can feel a bit trapped. This is the state that we're in. How do we get free from it? I'm going to suggest two methods for dealing with sin which don't work and one which really does. So here is common flawed method for dealing with sin number one. This will be particularly familiar to those of us brought up in an environment which uh, promotes hard work and self-determination. So, you know, all of us. The method is to launch a full frontal attack on our failings. We go big on willpower and determination. Whatever the issue is, anger, fear, bitterness, greed, lust, abuse, addiction, we load up the big bazookas of our human resolve and we determine we will never ever do that ever again. We pray against it. We fight against it. We get angry about it. We are full of self-loathing about it. We set our wills against it. The struggle, though, is completely in vain. Because we either find, guess what? We've only gone and done it again. And the self-loathing and the frustration, the bitterness, the sense of defeat returns. Or worse, and I mean worse, we have, by the sheer strength of our wills, actually, for a time, resisted. I do mean worse. Let me read a bit of Paul's letter to the Colossians, where he addresses this exact issue. 
This is Colossians 2, verse 20. Since you died with Christ, oh, it is there, great. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, i.e., you're a completely new creation, why, as though you still belonged to the world, do you submit to its rules, i.e., old nature methods of dealing with sin as opposed to new nature methods? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch which he's sort of quoting some of the people who are influencing the Colossians as, this is how you overcome sin. These rules, says Paul, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. The key to understanding what Paul's going on about here is the little phrase in verse 23, self-imposed worship. This isn't actually a great translation in the NIV. Better would be do-it-yourself religion or self-worship. What's in sight here for Paul is an idolatry of the will. It's worship of human determination. This is a big problem. Essentially, Paul is saying, if your ability to overcome sin is based solely in you, two detrimental things will inevitably happen. Number one, you will only ever be dealing with the outward manifestations of sin, not the inner motivations. And sin is a far bigger problem than just whether we look good like well-behaved little children on the outside. As Jesus says, it's the quality of your heart that is the fundamental issue. Our will has no power to affect our souls, which is why Paul says these will-based methods lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence, i.e. issues of the heart. I used to play uh, five-a-side soccer with the staff team at the church that we came from in London. It was a big staff team, and there were about 10 of us, kind of 20- and 30-year-old strapping young guys and me. And we used to play five-a-side every week uh, on a Monday night after work. And with a bunch of 20 or 30-year-old guys who all work together, who are all sort of competing in the way that they sort of do, coming together to play five-a-side soccer was not always very pretty. It was like all these frustrations that, that had been brewing through the time would come out. At one point, for whatever reason, we played this one five-a-side game in front of the whole church. The whole church came to watch, I mean, why? Who knows? Came to watch these guys play with low quality and high energy. And in this particular game, the second-in-command pastor at the time, after a particularly gruesome tackle from kind of the third-in-command pastor at the time, grabbed the second-in-command pastor by the throat and just held him there for about a minute. Everyone else just stopped in complete silence, going, this is so awkward. And then, because we were all British, no one said a thing. (laughs) He let the guy down, and then we just carried on. As nothing, no one has spoken about it since. This is about 20 years ago. Nothing. And we'd play every week. 
And to be honest, none of us were immune. But I do remember one of the younger guys on staff who was particularly competitive. And he took the whole thing very, very seriously. He would appeal every single decision. He would get angry about every little thing that didn't go his way. To be honest, it was a real pain playing with him. But anyway, this guy would play. And then one day, he wrote an email to the whole uh, group of people who were playing, saying, I am having to step down from playing soccer with you guys. I do not like the person I become when I play. It is not me. Ever found yourself saying something like that? I don't know what came over me. I don't know why I said that. That is not who, that's not the kind of person I would like to, that's not me. That is not the person I know I am. I know I've said something similar. The uncomfortable truth, though, is actually even in our whole new creation state where we are sweeping, soaring swallows, when we're not able to fully control our environment, what creeps out is not not us. It's just a bit of us that we would prefer no one to see. It's the stumbling, struggling, old nature versus new nature. It actually is a bit of what's going on beneath the surface. It's as Jesus says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So firstly, if we try to overcome our sin purely by our willpower, we will only ever be dealing with outward manifestations. And secondly, the more we succeed in curbing our behavior through willpower, ironically, the worse things get for us. The further away from Jesus we land. Because the more we realize the power of our wills, the more we can become enamored by them the more we will then turn in on ourselves and start worshipping our own power as opposed to Jesus Christ, whose grace it is that uniquely has the power to actually change people fundamentally at a heart level. And don't we see all of this around us all the, all the time, this grating piety of the self-righteous and the self-idolatrous? It's the heart of the religious attitude since time began. Why can't you just be a better person? I am. Have you ever met someone who's just given up smoking? They're awful, truly awful. I've done it, why can't you? It's idolatry, it's very pervasive. If I never have to hear the phrase virtue signaling ever again, I will be such a happy person. Hasn't the world had enough of sanctimoniousness? Now I've got to say, that one of the most striking things about the general public's response to what's going on in the crisis in Ukraine has been the refreshing lack of sanctimony. One ill-advised Twitter poem aside. There seems to be a genuine humility, probably because we know this is way beyond anything that we can control, and we're just going, God, please help us. That's what God loves. God, please help us. 
but in contrast with pretty much all the other hot topics that have been going around for the past few months or years, whether they're issues of gender or race or COVID or whatever, how much of the general response has just been so surface? So, hey, look at me and my response, it's right. I know I've done this a lot. I want everyone to know that I'm a great person, as opposed to, it really doesn't matter if anyone sees me, I just want to be a great person. Worship of ourselves only takes us further away from Jesus. And remember, it's Jesus who reserves his harshest criticism for those who love to worship their will, the Pharisees, the outward version of righteousness. By contrast, his heart, his eyes are towards those who look at him and go, I could never, ever be like that. His heart is for those who go, God, please help me. Because your version of justice, your version of love, your version of compassion, your version of bringing a broken world together is so otherworldly that I know there is no way I can even get close to it. So please come to me. That is who Jesus is most interested in. So if this all sounds a little bit depressing and defeatist, if it sounds like a reason to despair, then it's good. It is. We should despair. Because it's only when we finally do despair of gaining inner transformation through our human powers of will that we are open to the wonderful, new, life-giving realization that inner righteousness is a gift from God. And it's one that can only be graciously received. The change needed within all of us is not our work, it is God's. Always has been, always will be. As the New Testament puts it over and over again, righteousness is unattained and it is unattainable through human effort. But, says Paul, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. You can't really fundamentally change yourself. You just can't. But he can. And that's what he's here to do. The moment we grasp this truth, though, we run the risk of doing the second thing which robs us of actual real change, and that is this, flawed method for dealing with sin number two, quite quickly. If human striving ends in moral bankruptcy, it does, and if goodness and righteousness are only ever something we can receive as a gracious gift from God, they are, then should we not conclude that we should just sit back, relax, carry on as we always have done, and then God will change us if and when he wants to, but basically we don't have to do a thing? Well, yes and no, but not really. The analysis is correct. The conclusion isn't quite right. Now, on one level, this is far more productive than basing our ability to change in our own willpower. Our belief in self-determination, particularly in a country like this that has built itself on self-determination, is so ingrained, so deeply riven into our beings that anything which subverts it is definitely a good thing. 
And on one level, of course, you can receive all God's forgiveness, all his love and acceptance, all his infinite righteousness for you that he wants to bestow on you in a moment to respond to him doing that, and you will always be his. A new spotless creation for all time. This will never, ever change. It is true that there is nothing that you can do to make him love you more, and there is nothing you can do to make him love you less. But what Jesus is after for you is to go further. There's always more. Happily, we are not just passive recipients. There is something that all of us can do. We're not simply caught between either human works or human idleness. Real, fundamental change happens to people when not only do we receive God's righteousness, but also we take active steps of putting ourselves in a position to receive more and more and more of it. And this is what the spiritual disciplines do. They allow us to place ourselves before God to transform us. We are embarking on what the writer Richard Foster says is the path of disciplined grace. It's grace because it's free. It's disciplined because there is something that we can do. On Fridays, and I will end with this, um, I pick up my two youngest daughters from elementary school. And a tradition has started where um, I pick them up and then we go to get ice cream because it's Fridays and I like ice cream. And in my mind, there is a strict hierarchy of ice cream places that we could go within shooting distance of their school. Van Leeuwen's is obviously top. Greatest of all ice cream places in LA. I won't hear anything other than that being the case, because it's true. Number two is Jenny's. Number three is Wanderlust. And a distant number four is Magpie's Soft Serve. Froyo can go and die somewhere. Anyway, annoyingly for me, this Friday, Margot, who's eight, her choice was to go to Magpies, so we've got to go to Magpies. It's okay. The good thing about Magpies is, unlike pretty much anywhere else so far I can see, they have returned to offering free samples. We went in. The problem is they hadn't put the sign up saying there was a limit to free samples, and Margot, who is eight, knows her consumer rights. Probably because the guy was nice, he didn't complain. But she methodically, diligently, deliberately went through every single flavor, tasting them, even the ones she doesn't like. It was like she would go up to the front and go, I would like to try, just a sample please, the malted milk chocolate. Thank you. I would now like to try the sweet cream the corn almond, the mango, the young coconut, the brownie batter, the Thai tea, the toasted sweet rice. She did this for about 20 minutes. The line out the thing while she sampled every single one got bigger and bigger and bigger. She was disciplined. She was very full of magpie's soft serve, which she had not paid a cent for by the end. This is what the spiritual disciplines are like. The righteousness of God is completely free.
We've just got to be disciplined enough to line up over and over again and put ourselves in the position to receive more of it. And then what happens is we get full of him. So when we come together to worship God, when we choose to decide we are going to, however much our lives do not want to do this, we're going to sing these songs, we're going to open ourselves to the Spirit. When we take that step of faith and say we are going to be disciplined and do this worship, we meet with God. When we study the Bible, when we choose to be disciplined, when we are praying together, when we are confessing, when we are doing these things, they in and of themselves are not doing anything for us other than putting us in the place where he can fill us with his spirit. That's what changes anyone. Because the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of his presence flowing in us is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. When we're full of those things, we don't need to hide our inner selves. Spirit-filled people playing five-a-side soccer, they'd never put in a tackle. They'd never do anything. They'd just be nice to each other all the time. They would. We don't need to work hard at being good and kind. We don't need to try and prove that we're good and kind. When we're full of the Spirit, we are good and kind. And so to refrain from being good and kind would be hard work because actually goodness and kindness have become part of our nature. Our world is in desperate need of people full of the Spirit. Mature people. People who exude Jesus. So what I want to encourage us to do as a church is to take this seriously to go for it. These are not things that we're just going to do for a number of weeks. This is what we are choosing to do for a lifetime. They need not to become gods for us. They need not to become actually idols in replacement of him. They are ways, they are means, they are tools to receive more of Jesus. Don't we need it? I know what you're like. You definitely need it. I'm fine. But don't we? doesn't our world. So that's what I want to encourage us to do. To say, take seriously the call to be transformed. Reject all other ways in which it may have been placed on you, that it is all down to you. You cannot change your heart, but he can. What you can do is put yourself in the position to have him do that. So what I think we should do is we'll sing a song and then uh, we'll pray for people as we end. Can we sing that really 90s one? From a vineyard. Draw me close. I, I mean, not to make a decision for you, Ben. Do whatever you like. If we don't do that, you're fired. Is that problematic? Yeah. Um, should we stand? Where's, where's Raoul and Casey? Can you just come to the front and um, just uh, your prophetic words from earlier? 
So we, um, every time we get together, we have a little prayer meeting beforehand. You're all welcome, by the way. We meet in that room. We just pray for a bit for the service. And we believe that God speaks to us. God speaks to us through the Bible, but he also speaks to us directly through words of prophecy and words of knowledge. And we're always encouraged to seek these gifts. Seek the greater gifts, says Paul, particularly the gift of prophecy. Now, we only prophesy in part. It's our job to be like the mailman or the mailwoman. We, we deliver what we feel like God's saying, and then we weigh it up. And if it doesn't make any sense to you, you just completely reject it and leave it behind and go, God bless you, well tried. That wasn't it. Uh, but we are supposed to try and hear what God is saying because it's encouraging and building up. And it shows that God is amongst us, that he speaks. Anyway, we were praying earlier. And these guys both felt like God had said something to them. I want you to hear what they have to say. I just had a picture of people on a bike um, going downhill. And the thing is, when you go downhill, when you pedal, it doesn't do much. And just saw people pedaling really, really fast, trying to make the bike do something. And just felt like God was saying, stop. My spirit, it's my grace carrying you. Um, so that. And then I had a picture of somebody kind of just like holding a ball of like rags just like really tightly up against their chest and then someone guessing Jesus coming and taking those rags and giving them a fresh pair of clothes and then the same image but with a different object I saw somebody holding a broken instrument trying to play and then someone bringing a brand new instrument um, to exchange the broken one. Thank you, Ralph. Would you just uh, close your eyes just so that you're not distracted? You don't have to do this, but we always offer to pray for people. We always invite the Holy Spirit to meet us because he knows much better than we do what we actually need and what's going on with us. So we're just asking him to speak to us. But I feel particularly there are people who are exhausted and they're exhausted by their experience of church life. And that picture of trundling down on a bike trying to pedal has, has been similar to your experience. And what Jesus is asking is just to trust him and let him flood you with his peace that all striving can come to an end. And just that second picture that um, Raoul had, um, specifically, I felt like that was actually um, uh, literal for someone. The idea of having this broken instrument. And I think it's, it actually represents musical instrument. A feeling like that has been broken because it's brought life and joy to you, and God is wanting to replace it. It's your gifting, it's your calling. So allow him to give to you. Now we're going to sing this song. I would use this as a prayer, particularly if you are particularly exercised by what's going on in the world right now. Use this as a prayer. We don't know what to pray, but the Spirit intercedes for us. So you don't even really have to say anything. But let your spirit connect to his spirit and pray for peace. Pray for his will to be done, for his kingdom to come.
So we'll sing this and then we'll um, kind of formally close and then we'll pray for people.